that's the sound of us enjoying delicious beverages. It's our ASMR. It's our ASMR. It still hits different, like every single time. Like mm. it's still good. I wish it was like more carbonated now, still. But welcome back to Why Will No One Date These Guys, starring myself, Joel Guy, and Naomi Guy. We are an hour and a half to an hour and forty-five minutes into an attempt to set up our audio properly. It has not been going well. Recently, we've been really struggle bussing it, and um, what is struggle bussing? <laughs> It, you're a struggle bus if you struggle through things. So, I'm sorry, how does that add anything to the base word struggle? It just seems to be additional consonants that are unnecessary. Today we are enjoying Diabolo, a sparkling French lemonade, mint citron flavored. He's um, not just mispronouncing Diablo, it's Diabolo. So. Yeah, it's tasty. We've been savoring this for the better part of an hour and a half. It's minty, it's zesty, it used to be sparkling, it is very flat by now. Yes. <laughs> Naomi, what is going on in your life? Tell me about some highs and lows of your week. Keep them short. We need to get to the meat of this episode before we go insane with the amount of time it's been taking to record. My high this week is that I went back to school. My low this week is that I have really great professors. My low is just lack of sleep, man. Lack of sleep. Joel, high and low. Go. Well, I purchased a car last week and I got it registered in just 15 minutes at the MVD. I was very happy with how efficient Arizona departments can be, and I wish all my interactions with government were that good. My low is probably how much time I'm struggling with audio right now, and how much time we're probably going to struggle with audio moving forward. But hey, we are finally recording, so I'm happy. Naomi, this week is part two of a very special series we're doing. This is our episode two of our sexual education series. Today, we're going to talk about relationships. Joel... You have relationships with a lot of people, different types of people in your life. You have relationships with family, friends, significant others. How would you describe a healthy relationship? Give me some keywords. Oh, boy. That's very difficult right off the bat. Boy, good relationship. I, I think, and this, these are broad terms that you can yeah, use yeah, for yeah. significant others, families, friendships. I think good relationships with people are ones where you share a lot of information, but you also live separate lives. You are your own entity while also being open and engaged with other people's like interests, passions, what's going on there. I think good relationships focus on like growth and improvement while being respectful of like individuals' limitations or like their weak spots. I think there are very few unrealistic standards that are applied to, you know, the relationship. And I think you should feel comfortable when you're around people that you have good relationships with. You shouldn't be on edge. You shouldn't be anxious. You should be stress-free because spending time with people you like should not be a stressful experience. Okay. I like all those answers. A few of my keywords that I was thinking of is they kind of just play off of things you said. Alpha. Omega. Oh, I was just going back to our conversation about you really enjoying only Chad males. I fucking hate (laughs) Trusting, welcoming, boundaries, and loving. And I think that those are just extensions of what Joel just said. Is that a throw pillow you have on your couch? That that seems very Etsy store-esque. It's the live, laugh, love of a new generation. I saw this meme the other day. or this No, it wasn't a meme. It was a tweet. It was like, how am I supposed to live, love, laugh in this economy or something like that? Too real. Too real. So I want to discuss this, and I think this is a really important topic of discussion, because I think even if you've had like proper sex ed you probably have not had proper relationship education. Yeah. I think very few people get detailed descriptions of what like good non-toxic relationships are. 
And I think, unfortunately, most people learn what good relationships are only through experience. I think that's true. And I think that a lot of people, like, you can say, okay, you can teach your kid, don't be with someone that does this, this, and this. Or don't be with someone that, like, physically or emotionally or sexually abuses you. But, like, until you're in that type of relationship, you don't know what your limitations are. And you could not even know until something really, really bad happens. I've heard about women that go through years of abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, mental abuse, and they don't realize until they're like hospitalized or there's a breaking point. So I think that you can describe it to someone and say, this is a healthy relationship. This is a toxic relationship. But until you're in that type of relationship that you know you never want to be in again, or until you find those red flags personally in people, I don't think that you can get a real feel for it. Yeah. And I think compared to some of the other topics we've discussed, it's less important whether or not people are having good sex or flirting properly in comparison to are they being beaten in their relationship. And I wanted to share some stats that I think are relevant that the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence came up with because abuse is frighteningly common in a lot of relationships. The National Coalition Against Domestic Violence pulled statistics from like the 2010s. They found that one in four women and one in nine men experienced severe intimate partner physical violence, intimate partner contact sexual violence, and or intimate partner stalking with impacts such as injury, fearfulness, PTSD, use of victim services, contraction of STIs, etc. One in three women and one in four men have experienced some form of physical violence by an intimate partner. This includes a range of behaviors such as slapping, shoving, pushing, and in some cases might not be considered domestic violence, but is, you know, actually violence, just not of a legal sort. One in four women and one in seven men have been victims of severe physical violence, beating, burning, strangling by an intimate partner. One in seven women and one in 18 men have been stalked by an intimate partner to the point which they felt very fearful or believed that they or someone close to them would be harmed or killed. On a typical day, there are more than 20,000 phone calls placed to domestic violence hotlines nationwide. One stat that I thought kind of stood out, given the age range of most of our listeners, women between the ages of 18 and 24 are the most commonly abused by intimate partners. And so I think this ties back to what we were just talking about, where people who are younger don't really have a good idea of what healthy boundaries are. They don't know what a good, normal relationship entails, and they don't know the expectations they can place on their partner. And I think, unfortunately, older women have more experience with bad partners and what their boundaries are. Would you agree? I think I would agree with that, but I think that it's also a combination of a lot of things. I think that if you started teaching people what abusive cycles are at a younger age, we wouldn't have these types of statistics. I know that, for instance, I wasn't like stalked I hope, dear Lord, that I never get stalked by an intimate partner. But I know that when I've been uncomfortable in public with people like following me, like I've been followed home a couple of times, the police don't do anything. Mm-hmm. Like they will not do anything unless the person physically has their hands on you. Which like, if you are incredibly uncomfortable and somebody follows you home and then you like have that thought process, oh God, they know where I live. They could like break into the house. You know what I mean? So I think it's like stupid. That's all I was going to (laughs) say. But yeah, I completely agree with you that women that are younger don't necessarily understand until they hit a breaking point. Yeah. And, and, you know, this is very specific to relationships. You know, for instance, one in five women and one in 71 men report having been raped in their lifetime. That's reporting. And I like I want to I want to talk about that for a second. A lot more men are raped and sexually assaulted 
each year than are reported. And it's the same for women. And I want to talk about that because a lot of people are like, oh, rape only happens to women. And they don't understand that sexual assault and rape also can happen to men. And because of physical anatomy, it does happen. Men do get excited down there out of fear. So it's possible it happens and it's not talked about because of fear of men are even less likely to come forward than women. Like, yes, women are unlikely to come forward, but men are even less likely to come forward. And please keep in mind that the statistics that are produced are, of course, of reported incidents. And one area where reporting just doesn't happen is our prison system. And it's really fucked up because I think a lot of people either have made or have heard jokes like don't drop the soap, which kind of implicitly accept the culture of sexual violence in our prison systems. And that's considered to be part of the punishment that comes with doing even innocuous crimes. And so keep in mind that a lot of the statistics are only of, quote unquote, non-criminals in the general population who have access to reporting services, not the least privileged people in our incarceral system. I think that's cool that you brought that up because I just took my first class of the semester. My professor was talking about the fact that she did research for her doctorate in the prison system, talking about the prevalence of STDs and STIs in prisons because it's not something we talk about. We don't talk about protection. We don't talk about giving condoms to like prisoners. It's not talked about that that happens in prison. So there is a large prevalence of sexual unhealthiness in the prison system. Is that the opposite of sexual health? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the reason I bring up that stat is because almost half of all victims were raped by their intimate partner. Sexual violence is not something where just random people approach you on the street. It can happen. It does happen. But a significant portion of it is done by someone who's close to you. In terms of stalking, 60% of female stalking victims and 43% of men report that their stalker was a current or former intimate partner. In terms of children, 1 in 15 children are exposed to intimate partner violence each year, and 90% of these children are eyewitnesses to the violence. And then in terms of the economic impact, between 21 and 60% of victims of intimate partner violence lose their jobs due to reasons stemming from the abuse. And I think that we talked about this during our consent episode, talking about the economic impact of individuals that are sexually assaulted and raped. We touched on the fact that the economic impact isn't everything. We just wanted to give a little bit of perspective about what kinds of things, the impact, long-term effects of violence of that sort. Right. And, you know, one thing that's often brought up is the pay gap between men and women. And it's much harder for women to maintain their jobs, be seen as committed to their position if they have to take many days off to deal with the health impacts of violence if they have to go to doctor's appointments, if they have to move away from wherever they lived to take new jobs, go to therapy. Yeah, they're going to be hindered in whatever their job is if they have any kind of repercussions from this violence. And so it's very easy to say, you know, men and women choose different career paths, men and women make different choices. Well, one, the response to that is why is it women's choices of careers valued so less in our society than men's choices of careers? But the second would be there are repercussions to the violence that women disproportionately face compared to men. And again, we recognize that there's a lot of underreporting, but if you were to just look, I think, at each gender in isolation, women are going to be less privileged in their careers for the simple fact that more of them are going to be subject to certain types of violence, and as a result, will have fewer opportunities to show that they're committed to their roles in our lovely capitalist dystopia. So yeah, this is a big issue. It affects a lot of people, millions and millions of people. And I think one thing that a lot of our listeners might not realize is 
legal abuse was very common up until recently. We're talking about 2005 when the last state in the union, Tennessee, repealed a law that basically allowed you to rape your partner. Essentially, as long as there wasn't a gun or a knife or another weapon utilized in coercive sexual acts to a partner, that was perfectly fine. So we're saying within the last 15 years, there were still states in the union, 16 years, which were allowing this sort of thing. And even today, there are still a wide variety of definitions used for consent across the United States. There are a lot of wide variety of definitions about partner violence, what qualifies, what can actually be you know, challenged in civil or criminal court. So this is an issue that's much closer than people think. I think a lot of people imagine, you know, frontier times, they imagine, you know, colonial era when a lot of abuse was happening. But no, abuse is still very, very present and legal forms of abuse are still something within living memory of a lot of people. And if you are confused about definitions of consent, go and reference our consent episode. We did it towards the beginning of when we started posting podcast episodes, but- It was one of the first we did because we thought that was so important. A lot of people gave us feedback that it was very informative and they learned a lot from it. So if you are confused, please go check that out. And if you don't learn anything from it, don't tell us that. It'll make us feel bad. (laughs) Okay, so let's talk a little bit about what toxic relationships are specifically. I think it's clear that- Physical violence against a partner is a bad thing. If you're committing acts of physical violence, don't. If you're subject to physical violence, please seek help. Don't put up with that. Please seek help. I was going to bring this up a little bit later in the episode, but I think it's important to reiterate several times. There are a lot of resources out there to help people who are victims of partner violence. And violence can take a lot of forms. It can be physical, it can be mental, it can be emotional. And it can be from anyone in your life. It can be from family, it can be from friends, it can be from significant others. I think that that's something that we need to reiterate is that we're not just talking about like sexual assault from partners or individuals in your life. We're talking about every type of abuse that every type of relationship in your life you can be subject to abuse. Yeah. And I I think that's very important to put a pin on because this is not specifically boyfriend, girlfriend. This is not specific to people who are in relationships with another. This can be family members. These can be friends in your life. These can be people you thought were friends in your life. These can even, you know, be coworkers, your boss, any person you have a connection with can be abusive. The question really is, you know, what is the best way of reporting that and addressing it? So two important resources that we strongly urge you to check out if any of this seems relevant to you are the National Hotline for Domestic Abuse. Their telephone number is 480-799-7233. And they do web chat and text messaging as well if you don't feel comfortable having an in-person phone conversation or don't want that in your phone's history. You can just go to Safe Mode on your browser and visit their website at thehotline.org. Another one is RAIN. That's the Rape, Abuse, and Incest Network. I believe that's the proper rape, abuse. Yes. Okay. And they provide very similar services, but more specifically towards sexual violence. So they also are available online if you want to do web chat, text messaging, if you want to give them a call. These resources are available 24-7. Don't feel that you're like bothering anybody by contacting the people who staff these lines because their job literally is to help out people potentially like yourself. So yes, keep in mind there are resources out there. They are available pretty much every day of the year. If you even just have questions about whether or not certain aspects of your relationship are toxic and abusive, give them a call. They should be able to assist. So Naomi, let us talk about what toxic relationships specifically entail. So I think that we've mentioned this before, but something that we really believe in is that like, if you don't feel as if you have a healthy relationship with your family. It is not your job to sustain any type of relationship with your family. So I really want to talk about toxic relationships 
with family members and what those look like. I think that a lot of people that I know feel as if just because you are related by blood to that person that you automatically need to have a relationship with that person, even if they've done you wrong, if they're abusive in any way. And I think that it is crucial to understand that family Yes, you are related to them by blood, but if you do not want to be related to them, you don't necessarily have to have a relationship with them. You don't have a choice in family. Like you ultimately are forced into becoming a member yes. of the family by, you know, the fact your parents chose to give birth to you. You do have a choice in whether or not you want to continue being family with people and who you want to keep in your life. Don't feel that you have some sort of bond based off of your family tree, your history, the nice financial perks you might get from them for hanging around and dealing with their bullshit. You ultimately have a lot of discretion and you know who you choose to surround yourself with. I think that a lot of family dynamics that I've witnessed, uh, abusive family dynamics, is family members will guilt individuals into staying in the vicinity or staying a part of the family and staying in contact with the family. And I think that that's a telltale sign that you probably should not be a part of that family if you feel guilted into having a relationship with any of them. If you don't feel comfortable around them, it is not your job to make them feel comfortable. A quote that I found while doing research for this episode was, letting go doesn't mean giving up, but rather accepting that there are things that cannot be. You can make your own family. You can have children. You can find a significant other. You can have a family of friends. You your can D&D and board game group that meets up every Saturday. Maybe not them, but I'm just kidding. Whoa. <laughs> so let's talk about... Ohana means family, <laughs> unless you play D&D and board games like Settlers of Catan. <laughs> let's talk about some toxic traits for families. I think that the biggest one is that you don't like being around them. Something that I've learned pretty early on in life was that if I wasn't comfortable around an adult in my circle, let's just say church or family friends or anything like that, if I voiced that when I was younger, my parents were like, okay, we respect that. You don't have to be around them. We will not make it so that you have to be around them in any situation. And they stuck by their word. I'm not saying that this will happen to you necessarily, but if you don't like being around them, if you're uncomfortable, if they've made some weird passes at you, like male or female relatives, and you don't like being around them, avoid them. I think this ties into some of the themes we discussed in our consent episode, but I really want to put a pin on those. If you're raising children or have connections to people who you effectively are parenting, make sure to reiterate the importance of bodily autonomy to them. Yes. Children need to learn from a young age that bodily autonomy is their own thing that others don't get to dictate, you know, who has control over. Except for the government. Uh, Women specifically have say over gun. This is true. Thank you for reiterating that, Naomi. I'm really glad we can talk about that and the importance of preventing uh, women's right to choose before our abortion episode. That's really gonna gonna play with the listeners. For everyone that was not here in this setting, uh, I just did a finger guns. I like to narrate everything that goes down because I realize that we don't have a visual of what's going on. I'm sure at some point we're going to get canceled and people are going to pull audio clips of us (laughs) saying horrible things. I want to be clear that we're being sarcastic. We do support women's rights to choose. We just don't support the federal government. I saw this quote recently. It was like, if I wanted the government in my body, I'd fuck a senator or something like that. And I was like, that is so great. I love that. As long as you do it in like a CD bus station bathroom. Anyway, so in terms of bodily autonomy... One thing that I see a lot of parents do is say things like, oh, give a hug to your Aunt Debbie. Let your uncle, I you like know. Aunt Debbie. 
Oh God, we do have an aunt definition yeah. on a user as an example. Give a hug to your aunt Susie Ann Lee. Perfect. Okay, that's yes. generic enough. Sure. Let your uncle Trevor, you know, pick you up and throw you in the pool. There's a lot of you know demands that parents place upon their kids, and they see their kids being brats if the kid doesn't want to give a hug to that family member. And that's not to say that every family member is inherently abusive, because there are many people who, you know, like throwing children into pools or giving children hugs. (laughs) The thing is, you really want to emphasize to kids that it's their choice about who they touch and who they interact with. If they don't want to spend time with Aunt Debbie, respect that. You can stop going back to Aunt Debbie. Yeah, you can still request that they, you know, be polite to Aunt Debbie. But if for some reason, long term, they feel really uncomfortable interacting with Aunt Debbie, Aunt Susie, and Lee, maybe ask, you know, why is it that they feel so uncomfortable? Is it something this person did, is saying, is doing? Because kids are pretty sensitive. They notice things. There are actions certain people take that kids pick up on that they find uncomfortable. Don't force them to have relationships with people they don't want to be a part of. And if, again, this is a long-term thing, maybe it's time for you to do some parenting and ask what's up with that. What's the reason? Obviously, we're not parents, but I think that's something that I've learned while being an adult and seeing other people parent their kids is that it is extremely important to teach your kids the names of their physical anatomy. And you can call them private parts. You can call them whatever you want. But I think that it's incredibly important to teach your kids what they are because in the case of abuse, a lot of cases are thrown out because kids can't articulate where the person has touched them or what they did to them. And I think that it's incredibly important for you or people as parents to teach their kids just in case. And I think that that's terrible to say, but abuse is very prevalent among children because it's a power thing. Abuse is always a power thing. And so I think that it's incredibly important to make sure that you are covering all your bases. Okay. Okay. We're good with that. The next toxic trait is they have consistent blowups. So this is pretty obvious, but if your only form of communication with the said family member is that you have feel like you have to walk on eggshells in order to talk to them and not cause them to start screaming at you. I think that that's a pretty toxic trait that you should probably, yeah. Yeah, uh, people who can't moderate their emotions concern And me. respect what yeah, you're saying. I, I recognize there are some people who are more susceptible to fits of tears who you know have things that happened in their past, things that are happening in their present that make them more likely to break down. But that in itself can sometimes be abusive if you're constantly crying to get your way or you're you know, attempting to manipulate people with you know the threat of breaking down and crying and making a scene in public. Well, I think there is a difference between you having emotions and you using your emotions to get what you want. Right. It's the difference between, I think, unplanned and planned. You know, Was it intentional? Or are you deliberately trying to summon certain feelings in order to get your way? Summon the demons. Summon the demons. Yeah, so people who consistently have dramatic emotional reactions to things, again, sort of carefully parse their actions about what you know about them, because it's very possible they're trying to weaponize that. That's not to say there aren't other explanations. It's just be a little cautious about that if you see that trait being exhibited. Next toxic trait is they don't respect your feelings or beliefs. I think this is really common. You hear about this a lot. Like children come out as a part of the LGBTQ plus community Mm -hmm. and parents are just like, okay, well, we don't respect that. Get out of our house. A lot of transgender youth are on the street and homeless because their parents don't understand and aren't willing to understand what that means. 
I think that it's extremely powerful to understand that if you're having a kid, you need to love that kid no matter what happens. I don't think that you should be having kids if you're not willing to have a transgender child. That's just my take on things. Obviously, I'm going to say again, I'm not a parent. So, Yeah. One thing that I've seen expressed on the right is there's a lot of people who have political opinions, you might say, that are to the right of center in American politics. And they say, oh, it's really the left who's intolerant because they refuse to accept that Trump was a good president or lowering taxes is good for America or whatever, that they refuse to you know, even consider our opinions. I will say not all opinions are created equal. If one side of the political spectrum is saying, we should give health care to everybody so that they don't die in the streets and bankrupt their families. And the other side is saying certain classes of people do not have the same value as other classes of people. Those aren't equal, right? You can disagree with either of those opinions, but like the amount you should disagree should also not be equal, right? On one side, you might have something that you disagree with because you think it's not politically possible or because you think it's too expensive. And the other side, you might disagree with it because you think it's a horrible ethnic cleansing style ideology, where like people who have that belief tend to be more open towards people who want to assume power and people who have like fascist properties. It's okay to disagree with people. It's okay to not respect other people's feelings, especially if the feelings that they express are those that are, you know, very racist, very xenophobic, very sexist, very queerphobic, whatever. Be clear, however, you know, why you don't respect those feelings. It's the difference between, you know, saying my kid can't be gay because that would reflect poorly on me as a parent and saying my kid can't be, you know, a, I don't know, Enron executive. There's a difference between something that's, you know, a core part of someone's identity and a thing that's like ultimately their choice. And I think we need to understand that when we're having disagreements, especially political disagreements these days, not everyone's feelings need to be respected. And the reason you don't respect them is because they're of completely different calibers, completely different importance. And some of them come from like, I feel a good place where people are trying to look out for the world and others are coming from a very hateful, antagonistic place. And again, those do not need to occupy the same level of importance when you're trying to weigh each of them. The next major red flag for toxic traits in family relationships is they make themselves well, the, the These are not clearly family relationships. Okay, I qualified all of these as family relationships. I'm saying that these can be toxic traits in any relationships, but right now I'm focusing okay. on family. Okay, fair enough. They make themselves the priority. I've heard a lot of people talk about their parents making themselves the priority in family life. I think that yes, it is important as a parent to make yourself a priority in order to take care of your kids. Like let's just say you need coffee in order to function for the rest of the day. So you take a few sips before you get little Johnny into his school pants. But there's a difference between that and making everything about you and not supporting your children emotionally, financially, not to the extent of buying them everything that they want, but financially in the sense that you're meeting all of their needs. I think that's incredibly important, yes, to have self-care as a parent, because obviously it is a full-time job, but it is also important to ensure that you are making them a priority along with yourself. Yeah, I think it's totally okay to do things for yourself if you're a parent. I think what needs to be remembered, though, is parenting is relatively easy. Good parenting is hard. And what I mean by that is 
if you think your sole responsibility as a parent is to feed and clothe your child, then you're probably doing a bad job because children are thinking human beings and they have emotions and they have desires and they have hopes and beliefs and they get confused and they get sad and they get angry. And unfortunately, part of raising a human being is teaching them how to deal with these emotions and talking them through things and giving them opportunities to explore their interests and passions. It's not putting food in and making sure they have a bed to sleep in. And yes, I don't deny that parenting is very difficult. And I think people who look down on parents are kind of stupid because they don't recognize how much work goes into it. At the same time, though, not all parenting is created equal. And you need to recognize that in order to do a good job and, you know, raise someone who's not a complete sociopath or horribly underdeveloped because they never went to school, you need to put in some effort and energy. You need to spend time doing the things for that person you would have liked done to you growing up, whether that's playing football, whether that's, you know, teaching them how to play chess, whether that's taking Being emotionally available. Yes. I think that's something that often a lot of parents don't want to do because being emotionally available is awkward. It's not something that's prized in our society. Yeah. Typically, parents want to be respected so they don't open themselves up and admit things that make them uncomfortable, that make them feel anxious, that make them feel afraid. And I think the people I respect most in life at this point are those who are emotionally open. The people who I think of as having skills I want to absorb and learn and mimic are those who are emotionally expressive, who make it clear that they are an individual with weakness. And you gain respect for them because you recognize how difficult it is to do that thing. There's very few people I respect who are insular and closed off about how they feel and how they react to things. I think it's far, far harder to be open with someone than it is to be closed off and stoic. And I wish we'd really stop prioritizing and prizing people who, in our media, in our popular culture, who are, you know, just stone-faced killers, who, who don't care about making other people feel comfortable and heard. So let's move on to easy tells of a toxic relationship with a friend. You feel like you're in competition with their other friends. I think that that's pretty much self-explanatory. Yeah, I think, and you know, this is kind of covered by some of the others, but if someone is constantly talking about how much fun they had with another friend, or they're constantly spending time going out to parties and things hosted by other people, and they know you wanted to do something with them, if they're not making you a priority in their life, that's kind of toxic. Often those people will call you when something's gone wrong and use you as like a consolation, or if no one else in their life's available, that's when they fall back on you. But yeah, they do not treat you as an equal. They treat you as like a backup a tool. plan. Yeah, a backup plan. Yeah. There's an imbalance of talk time, all for your friend, none for you. I think that like sometimes I get a little anxious about that because I feel like I talk too much about myself at certain points, like when I'm hanging out with friends or something. But I think that it's kind of similar to like a relationship with a significant other where it's like, okay, sometimes there's a 50-50 balance of talking time and supporting, but then there's also like the 70-30 time. So let's just say your friend's going through a crisis and your friend just broke up with her, like a long-term boyfriend or something. There needs to obviously be an imbalance, but I think that as long as that's not always happening, it's completely healthy. But if it's happening all the time where you feel as if you get in 10% of the talk time about yourself and the other person puts in 90% of the talk time all the time, that can be a toxic trait in a relationship. Absolutely. They blurt out criticism with a self-righteous attitude. 
I think that you can criticize your friends. I think it's completely healthy to criticize your friends, but in a healthy way. Yes. I don't think that it's like healthy to be like, well, I think you're fat. Do you only pick on your friends? Do you never offer them any compliments? Do you only provide blunt criticisms and never use something like the sandwich rule, where it's a compliment for somebody, then a mild criticism, and then another compliment? Naomi, I think those glasses look good. I'm a little confused because I didn't think you needed glasses to see. These are my blue light glasses. Oh, okay. Yeah. And since I'm looking at a screen right now, I like to not get headaches. And since I'm already tired, I was like, okay, I might as well not be tired and have a Okay, let, let me start over. Naomi, <laughs> those glasses are a good look. Thank you. I, I think they, they make you look very smart. Thank you. Both because glasses are stereotypically associated with smartness, yeah. but also because you're wearing a blue light glasses, so your eyes are staying safe. That's Thank a you. That's a sign Thank of intellect. You. At the same time, though, I think your hair's a little messy, and our <laughs> listeners are really going to pick up on that through the audio medium. Now, don't get me wrong. It's a good fit, but I just think that you could be a little more presentable for the people listening to our podcast. Did I not start this podcast? Oh, wait, this might have been a different audio track early on, but I started this (laughs) podcast by Joel was like, what inspired your outfit this morning? And I said, lazy couture. Lazy couture. Lazy Lazy couture. Okay. I think that was an attempted humor that didn't play out. Often, I think effective criticism is calling out bad behaviors of your friends while also like recognizing potentially some of their better behaviors and trying to push them towards that. So, hey, it was really good hanging out with you this weekend. I just want to say we all felt a little uncomfortable when you like called her a bitch during that one joke. Like I know you're attempting to be funny, but like it did not come off as such. I really enjoy spending time with you. I think that you're an awesome person, but like can you just be easy on your language around you know women? Something like that. You're you're not You're not assigning traits to people. You're not saying you are a bad person. You're not taking singular instances of behavior and using it to reflect upon their whole personality. You're giving them an opportunity to make things better. That is good criticism of your friends. Yeah. However, if you notice every single time you go out with your friends that they're constantly criticizing you, that could be a problem. Alternatively, it could mean you're an asshole. And your friends are looking out for you. Why they're hanging out with you, I don't know. But yeah, think about the relationship you have with your friends if a lot of it involves around criticism. Either they themselves are trying to beat you up in order to feel better about themselves, or there is something wrong. And if you respect those people, you'll listen to it. So the next toxic trait that I want to talk about is you reach out to see or talk to them more than they do. I have friends who like are busy. They have lives outside of me. I understand that. Like They work. They go to school at the same time. They don't have time to be sitting on their phone and like texting me saying, hey, let's make plans for the next week every single week. I understand that. But if you are reaching out to them and saying, hey, let's go get coffee or hey, let's go get a meal and they never reach out to you in the same way that you reach out to them, maybe kind of question that. Maybe ask them about it. Say, hey, why is it that you never reach out to me and I'm the only one who reaches out and makes plans? It could be a lot of things. I know a lot of people just aren't good at reaching out to people. They just ignore their phones altogether, which I think is really interesting in this day and age. But then there also could be that they don't have the time or that they're not interested in hanging out with you and they kind of feel guilted into hanging out with Mm -hmm. you. It could be a lot of things. So talk to them about that. And if you're a person who consistently is asked by someone you don't want to hang out with to hang out with them and you don't want to hang out with them, try to set some boundaries. Try to make it clear that there are reasons you don't want to spend time with this individual. Try to cut them off because 
you're wasting their time, you're wasting your own time, establish some kind of parameters for hanging out. If you do want to spend time with them, but don't have the same availability as they do, say, hey, look, I'm really sorry. I really wanted to go bowling you this week. It's just, you know, I'm spending too much time at the hospital. Can we make plans in like three weeks or so to get together and do something? What are you Um, doing at the hospital, Joel? Drinking the blood. I test it for vampires. Can I say something? I didn't know that when vampires fangs like came I thought for some reason that the fangs were like straws and they like suck the <laughs> suck the blood up through their fangs. Like mosquito, yeah. But then I realized that they just like break the skin with their fangs and then they like drink it with their mouths. I think it depends on the type of vampire. There's different types of vampires. Of Is course. it like subspecies of fish? Yeah, there's like sexy, sparkly twilight vampires. There's like Nosferatu vampires. There's half bat winged creature vampires. Tune in later this year for us doing a drinking game with the Twilight series. Notice how <laughs> they didn't do sexy Nosferatu vampires in Twilight. I think that would have been something to behold. Imagine like a sexy Nosferatu vampire hanging out at a high school. Being like, uh, yeah, I neglect my wrinkly skin and weird long ears. I'm definitely a 16 It's so old weird boy. that, like, all of them were, like, hanging out at, like, like every single teen movie about these, like, vampires, they hang out at high schools. Mm-hmm. And all of them are hundreds of years old. So it's like, you really are just, like, promoting pedophilia, if you really think about it. I prefer to think of it as teens have the sweetest blood before, you know, they've, they've taken all their old person, like, liver medication. You know? Yeah, I assume hanging out at a retirement home wouldn't be nearly as tasty of blood. Though I don't actually know how vampires use blood, if they subsist on it or just contain some essential element that they need. Well, in Twilight, I think it's like they're like food. Like it's a substitute for food. Like they don't eat food. And so like the blood is supposed to be their food. They do realize they can like go to a butcher shop and get all their like blood buckets from where they drain the meat. That seems far easier. Well, in different series, blood is different. So like blood in... The Vampire Diaries series is like blood from animals is like less powerful than oh. blood from humans. I don't know about Twilight though, because okay. Edward like so, like he only drinks animal blood and he likes is fine. I don't know. So anyway, back to abusive personality <laughs> traits. I mean, that is abuse. Are you kidding me? If someone wants to take your blood from you without your consent, yeah, I, I feel that's an abusive yeah. <laughs> stereotype. They tell you that you need to change. So I yes. think that this kind Oh of- my God. Oh, what a horrible trait. I've seen this so often. Okay, give your uh, I've had friends in the past who are like, you need to stop hanging out with these people. And they'll like give me a list of like people oh, I need to God. stop hanging out with. I've had people who are like, I don't like the fact that you know, you know, you bike everywhere. I don't like, you know, your choice of clothing. Yeah. Those I, I aren't friends. Yeah, they're they're more of casual acquaintances. Look, I, I think a lot of relationships have unclear boundaries. I think in professional environments, especially, it's unclear like who's supposed to always be an authority figure above you, or if it's okay to like hang out and joke with them on occasion. And when you do hang out and joke with them, you know how intense you can get. If it's like okay to rib them, if it's not okay, I think a lot of our relationships live in this void where it's unclear what appropriate conduct is. Which is you know why it's important to have conversations, as we've discussed, to talk to your partner about whether or not they're a smush or a squish or a squash or whatever. A poop. A poop, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, whatever their relationship designation is and whether or not the both of you have appropriate expectations for how each of you conduct yourselves in the relationship. But yeah, like people who want you to be someone completely different don't think of you as an individual. They think of you as an accessory. They think of you as a cute purse that they wish came in tan. 
They think of you as, That's you know... That's such a, a great analogy. Thank you. They think of you as a new sports car that should have... In the wrong color. Heats. Yes, heated seats. Heated heats? Heated heats. Yeah, don't hang out with people who want you to be someone completely different. On the other hand, if everyone is screaming at you saying that certain personality traits of yours are insanely toxic and they don't like them... Maybe listen to the wisdom of the crowd on that. Maybe get a third-party perspective and then listen to it. Yes. Yeah. Another thing that at least I've noticed is people who you hang out with who always are super reactive to things you say. You always feel like you have to walk around on eggshells. This is another not great personality trait. When I was in college freshman year, I was hanging out in the lounge with a number of other people. And there was a person in the room who was very invested in women's sexuality. I don't think she was taking that as her major, but like it was something that was really important to her. And I screwed, I don't recall the exact way this was like brought up, but I made a reference to something and screwed up biological sex and gender. I was like, oh, you know, that person has woman traits or something rather than female traits or whatever. It was like an innocuous slip of the tongue, something that in like English, especially in like conversations with people, it's not something that you really think about and probe, especially if you're not deeply invested in like the gender movement. And she just blew up on me. And there were, you know, a bunch of other people in the room like, that was pretty innocuous what Joel did. She's like, you need to know the difference. I'm like, I, I do know the difference. That was literally just a slip of the tongue. And she was like, oh, you know, it, it's horrible how, you know, people keep mixing these things up. It's the most basic thing if you have any respect for women. And it's like, that, that is not the reaction. That's not the way you tell people this is the proper way of referring to things. This is the proper way of having discussions of the difference between biological sex and gender traits. It's not a way to make friends. It's not a way to maintain friends bad reaction all around. And from that point forward, everyone was super cautious about having any kind of conversation with that person in the room because that person would, it seem, always be listening, trying to like find something to respond to, something to react to. I don't want this story to be misinterpreted as me hating feminists. I think there are... Misinterpreted? I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, no, I, I think that there are countless reasons to support feminism. I think there's countless people who identify as feminists who are awesome, great, understanding human beings. Thank you, Joel. Yes, miss. I have 15 shirts that say the future is female. Yeah, I I think the problem is of any group, often the most toxic members are going to also be the most vocal and that can leave a nasty taste in your mouth. Any negative experiences like that, Naomi? Yes, but I think that they more relate to significant others and walking on eggshells with significant others. So I'll talk about that more as we get into toxic traits with significant others. The last two that I want to talk about, which is more like combined into one, is you feel as if you're riding an emotional roller coaster in which they are in control and stress is starting to settle in your body. I think that if you constantly feel on edge with people in your life, that's like a a very easy sign to tell that you probably should start to put up more boundaries, if not let go of that person as a friend. You should not feel on edge in social situations with friends. I think that that's just a red flag right there. Yeah. And I think there's definitely a difference between that and feeling like introverted and not wanting to hang out with people. If you don't want to hang out with people because you're not sure what to say, what to do in certain situations, if you feel you don't have anything in common with them, that's one thing. If you don't want to hang out with people because every time you've done so, you've had like a very strong emotional reaction to horrible things that have happened to you, where it seems that people have been targeting you, if it seems that certain people always use it as an opportunity to vent, never giving you the opportunity to say anything in edgewise, if you feel that people are constantly, you know, listening to you, just waiting for an opportunity to pick 
at you know something you said or did. Yeah, that's an abusive friendship. If you feel stressed before you go to hang out with a person, it's not because you yourself are like identify as introverted. That might mean that that person is just not right for you. I agree with that. Okay. So the last major section that we want to talk about was toxic traits with significant others. So I'm going to go through some of these that we've already sort of touched on. I don't feel like we need to talk about them again. They're physically abusive. You have to feel like you're walking on eggshells with them. I wanted to give an example of this. I had a person in my life that was dating this other individual who they felt like they could not share any information about their past relationships without their partner blowing up on them. It was almost as if their partner wanted them to be like a perfect virgin who had no past with any genders and wanted to ensure that this partner was their one and only. And it became a stressor because every time that I brought up past situations or past stories that involved their past partners, they automatically shut me down. They were like, we can't talk about that when their partner was present. Yeah. So we had to whisper about it or this person would say, shh, don't talk about that person. Yeah. And it it was very awkward. One of my favorite stories on this topic, I had a friend in college who had a ex who was emotionally manipulative to say the least, but also would blow up and seem like we had to walk on eggshells around her a lot. We were at a party and me and this friend were talking and she felt that there was something between us. To be clear, this friend was like male. I do not identify as gay, but like she thought there was something in our past where like we had dated or maybe had sex or something. And she started to like get kind of angry when we were like interacting. And to be clear, this was like a good friend. We spent a lot of time together. We'd share, you know, emotionally intimate things, but like they we were not attracted. <laughs> we shared the same pair of pants for two years. No, uh, we were not attracted to each other. We just were good friends. And so my friend who was several drinks in at this party said, oh, don't worry. I've had sex with Joel a lot less than I've had sex with you. Which, to be clear, that number is zero, but like, <laughs> it's still, I think, one of the funnier things he had said. And she just blew up and was like, how dare you? I can't believe you would say such things. Like, no, no, to be clear, that was that was a joke. I was attempting. And she's like, oh, but but it wasn't. You knew what you were. You knew how I would react. And we, I don't think we ever found <laughs> around her again after that. How much longer was this person in that relationship? I don't want to talk about it. Okay. Yeah. But I think that's a good example where if someone can't take a joke, if they can't, even with misunderstandings, back off and admit that they were wrong, if they feel that your sexual history is something that's reflective on them and they are going to antagonize you over it, that's all very toxic. I think it's okay to have sexual hangups, but if they're that bad, you need to be considering other relationships. Another toxic trait is they talk about about your good friends. If you know that you have a really good friend and you're comforted by that presence of your friend or you feel as if you are very close with that friend and they talk bad about their friend for any reason, I think that that's a toxic trait. I, I think what's important there is abusers, whether intentionally or unintentionally, realize the benefits of isolating their victims from yes. other people. Yes. They want the victim to rely upon them, to not see other people as trustworthy, to alienate all the other people in their life so that the abuser is the only person they can kind of count on. 
And I don't think abuse is this long-term planned thing. I think for some psychopaths it can be, but I think in many instances, there are just certain techniques that make it easier to abuse people that a lot of people utilize. Uh, And that's a good example. Similarly, I think often a lot of people assume that abusers are always bad, always evil, always mean. And that's like fundamentally untrue because an abuser who's mean, evil, and wicked to everybody is going to be someone who's constantly called out for their behavior. Abusers have to be nice to certain people in order to be successful at abuse, right? If they want to privately beat their spouse or whatever, they probably have to be really, really nice to everyone the spouse hangs out with so that those people will be like, whoa, he could never do such a thing. Yeah. There was someone who was no longer employed at my work who used to be like this, where he would constantly just scream and shout at people at his level or below his level in the workplace for relatively minor innocuous things and would never say anything in a similar tone of voice or anything as demeaning anybody above him on the totem pole in the workplace. Now, he would talk badly about them behind their backs. But yeah, he would never have, you know, these blow-up competitions. He knew exactly who to target. And I think in the same way, abusers will sometimes think through, you know, who is it that I can beat up on? Who is it that I can make feel bad? Who is it that I can antagonize? And who do I have to kind of walk around on eggshells around in order to prevent them from calling me out on my behavior and telling the person I'm abusing that they need to go away from me? I know that's a really good example. They label all of their exes as insane. I think that, yes, it can be like completely truthful if you say like, oh, one of my exes stalked me. Like I would label that as just a little kooky. You know yeah. what I mean? I think if your partner labels their exes as insane, you should ask them what the characteristics were that made their ex-partners insane. Like I said, stalking, I understand that label. But if they just sent multiple texts asking where they were when they were supposed to have plans with them and suddenly that person just fell off the earth, I don't know if that made any sense. But She would always turn the toilet paper around so it was up rather than hanging down. Yeah. She, spent she too only much bought with her turkey family. bacon. She would not buy pork bacon. I mean, I think she was Jewish, but I don't know why that would be relevant. <laughs> she would only eat French fries from McDonald's. Can you believe that? Yeah. Like ask about those traits that make that person insane. If they have one crazy ex, I understand that. But if all of their exes are insane, that's that's a little weird to me. And I think it increases the likelihood that they're going to shit talk you if you ever break up. Yeah. They're going to, you know, suddenly turn everything you've ever done, everything you've ever thought or believed into an attack against you. Because if the case is that they truly believe all their exes are insane, nothing they do can ever be bad. Yeah. It's always, you know, something the others are doing that, you know, comes across as that. Oh, she's too possessive. Oh, she was too open in our relationship. Oh, she's too mean. Oh, she's too nice, right? They'll yeah. always find something to nitpick. They withhold sex or affection in order to get what they want. Let's be very clear. I'm going to walk on eggshells around you and our <laughs> listener will talk about this. So there's a difference here between consent and abuse. And I feel there's a thin line that's worth emphasizing. People always have the option to withhold sex or affection. Yes. Right? You should never feel obligated into partaking in sexual activities or, you know, giving people affection unless like you actually want to. Now, if the reason you're doing that is to get things out of people, you want them to do the dishes, you want them to watch the kids, you want them to buy you a new necklace or something, that's when the behavior can be abusive. If you've done something wrong, and in order to get back at your partner calling you out on your behavior, you decide not to have sex with them for a week, what you're doing is telling your partner that if they ever call out your bad behavior, 
you're going to stop showing them affection. That's abusive. Mm -hmm. There's a difference between a partner saying, hey, I don't like it when you do this and you feeling unhappy because you were called out for your behavior and not wanting to be intimate with someone who's called you out. Does that difference seem clear? Yes. Again, it comes down to kind of, are you trying to coerce a certain reaction out of people? Are you trying to train people into doing a certain thing? Again, you are totally entitled to not have sex with people. However, if, you're if the reason you're doing weapon, that, they're totally entitled yeah. to break up with you. Yeah. They're totally entitled to see that as an abuse tactic and make plans accordingly. You feel as if you are constantly in need of working on the relationship. I think that this is like, you can have times in which like you feel like you need to work on communication, you mm-hmm. need to work on stress reduction, self-care things of that nature. But if you're constantly working on the relationship in order to make it better, and this has gone on for months or years, I think that's kind of a telltale sign that something deeper is off in the relationship. If you've been dating for 15 years and don't want to get married, that may be a tell. We're not saying that you need to get married. We're not saying that the end goal of dating, (laughs) we're not saying that the end goal of dating is marriage. You don't need to get married in order to have a successful relationship. You can live together with that person. You can be in a relationship with them and never get married. But if the other person, why that is, yes, and be clear in the relationship that you don't want to get married. And if the other person wants to get married, then maybe you guys should talk about that. And maybe that could lead to the depths of your issues. If every six weeks your partner asks you to go on a break because they need some time to themselves. If your partner is constantly asking you if it's okay if they can sleep with other people and you're not comfortable with a polygamous relationship, if you're constantly going to polyamorous, correct. Thank you. Yeah, Uh, that that is the improper term I use there. We'll touch on that more in the next episode of our sex ed series. Oh man, clearly I need some education. (laughs) This is mostly for my benefit. If you're constantly going to therapy with your partner, that's not to say therapy shouldn't be used because it should. There are. Definitely some things that are better discussed with a trained professional than kind of like awkwardly stumbling through with your partner. But if every single issue needs therapy to resolve, that's a problem. Yeah. If you're going to therapy every six months and the principles being discussed in therapy aren't being applied, that's a problem. I think that something that I learned recently that was really powerful that I've kind of mentioned to my friends in passing is if you are constantly talking about the same behavior, let's just say like your partner will not stop bugging you about past partners, an issue that we talked about earlier in the episode. And you say, hey, look, this is my life. This happened. You kind of need to get over it. I understand that you may need to talk about it more. But if they are consistently making it an issue in your relationship and they're not willing to work on accepting the fact that you have a past and you consistently are coming back to the same fight over and over again, and you're giving them clear solutions that could possibly help the situation and resolve the situation... It's clearly manipulation. At the root of it, if they're not willing to change their behavior in order to help your relationship and help you have a clear mind and a clear heart, it's manipulation. Sure. Joel, you want to talk about the next one? If you feel as if the partner is constantly being difficult towards you on purpose to get a reaction or just be difficult, that's abusive. If you notice that the partner consistently is not pulling their weight if they consistently are setting up the cards so that they'll fall over and you'll have a fight, if they are failing to maintenance something or they're failing to do something you asked or you're not doing something and they're calling you out on it and making it a big deal, if everything is being set up for a fight at all times, if every part of the relationship is this attempt to change the scales so that they lean towards your partner, that's abusive behavior. 
again, relationships should try to be, in my mind, as equitable, as equal as possible. And if some person or both people, honestly, are trying to, you know, constantly tip the odds in their favor and make themselves the victor in this game we call relationships, that's a problem. Don't, yeah, treat this as a two-player game, not a one-player game. I think There's that a championship lot of people, belts for both people at the end. <laughs> I think that a lot of people kind of get confused when they first get into relationships and they think like, oh, the issues that we're having is me against my partner. Mm-hmm. And it's not like a teamwork of like, th- it's us against the issue. I think that, that it's a hard mindset to change. But once you change that mindset, a lot more issues become less fighting against each other and more fighting towards like, okay, what's the solution to the problem? Yeah, we'll discuss this a little bit more. I want to do another episode on a book called Crucial Conversations, which is all about having difficult conversations with your partner and attempting to resolve them in a way that doesn't prioritize one person over the other and makes both people feel as though they're valued. And that's not to say both people are always right in arguments, but it is to say that both people want to be right when having confrontations and arguments and need to find some kind of way in order to make sure their feelings are heard and they're treated as valid while still coming up with a solution that makes both people feel happy. You feel drained after talking with them instead of restored. I think that if you are feeling drained because you guys are like constantly fighting, I feel like we've talked about this, but if you should walk away from conversations or say you guys have a long talk about like issues that you're having and you come up with solutions, I think that's like a restorative conversation. But if you're constantly feeling like you're drained in social settings, like emotionally drained because of the relationship, maybe you should rethink that relationship. Yeah, I think a lot of people get tired after a week at work. You know, they've just spent 40 hours if they have one job, many more hours if they have multiple jobs, like a lot of people in the country these days, let's say 60 to be safe. Yeah, you're going to feel tired. You've, you've put in physical labor, you've put in mental labor, but at the end of the day, you got a paycheck out of it. If you're in a relationship and you constantly are feeling exhausted, whether physically or mentally, what are you getting out of it? Yeah. Right? Like it's okay to have stressful conversations and come up with solutions, That's, you know, one thing. But if you're having stressful conversations and feeling only more like lost and desperate and unhappy, that's a problem. Yeah. So if your relationship is about winning, if, you know, the other person treats it as a game where they have to be the one on top, if the relationship is about fighting, if the relationship is about calling out every bit of behavior that you find bad, abuse is probably involved at some point. And you really shouldn't settle for that. I think, again, all of this is a matter of degrees. You know, there are certain degrees to which calling out behavior is acceptable. There are certain degrees to which having disagreements is acceptable. You know, turkey bacon versus regular bacon, <laughs> toilet paper up or down, toilet seat up or down, etc. But yeah, they, they should not be the primary focus. The primary focus should be hanging out and grooving with someone you enjoy spending time with. Yeah. And maybe, you know, you find a common goal such as raising children where there might be emotional energy expended, but it's not because the other person's yelling at you or because the other person is attempting to make you seem like a bad parent. We are not saying that fighting is unhealthy. We're saying that fighting can be healthy, but the way in which you fight can be unhealthy. I would say disagreeing is healthy. Yes. Having productive conversations where you disagree is fine. Fighting is a little bit different. When I think fighting, I do think anger. I think violence. It's not something Oh, then you and I have different definitions of fighting. Okay, so the last thing that I want to talk about when going over toxic traits is I want to give a little little story time. Recently, a close friend of mine, she was in a situationship with a guy who 
from the start, I knew was kind of bad news. She knew this. She knew that I thought that this person was bad news. And it got to the point where her and I were hanging out a couple of nights ago. And they have been in this situation for a couple of months. Several issues have started before this, but she's a very independent person. And she gets very claustrophobic in relationships where the other person is possessive. And so this person had shown possessive traits before this night. But this night was particularly bad. She ended up going on a trip to visit her sister who was getting married and hadn't seen this person, her significant other, smush, whoosh, squash, poop, in a couple of days. It had been five days since she'd seen him. It was just because her schedule was just crazy. She works full-time. She's going to school full-time. Her schedule's kind of crazy. So she went out. She wanted to blow some steam. So we were going to our friend's house. We were going to hang out, have a chill night. She starts showing me the texts. The text said, you haven't responded to me in seven minutes. You haven't responded to me in 12 minutes. You haven't responded to me in 15 minutes. She's Damn, being s- dude. Get like a program that automatically types all of that rather than she doing it was- yourself. <laughs> That's your problem with the situation. <laughs> it's. I would say it's toxic in of itself how much energy he's yeah. expending on policing her energy. <laughs> I think that it's kind of crazy that he had this much time to like do that in right. the first place. Like, If you have that much time to control your partner... Go take up a fucking hobby. Go paint or something. Go do some laundry. So she ended up being very stressed because he texted her and said, I haven't seen you in five days. I'm going to come get you. I know your location. I took a fourth of ecstasy. I'm going to come and get you. My toxic level is... And then you just typed in a bunch of numbers. So if you're that person, don't be that person. And if you're in that relationship, if you don't know if that's toxic, get a third-party perspective. Be like, hey... Naomi, hey, Joel, what do you think about this? Better yet, DM us. Let us know all the... (laughs) We'll do an IGTV on it. Again, we brought up two resources at the start of the episode. If you've already forgotten them, it was National Hotline for Domestic Abuse and Rain. Talk to a neutral third party. Again, their job is to help people in abusive relationships. They'll be more than happy to answer questions and provide kind of a neutral opinion. We are also happy to do that. But But we are not experts. We're not experts, and we also don't want to take kind of legal liability for what happens. We could say... Trust people who do this for a living. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about red flags in relationships. Haven't we talked about red flags in relationships? No, those were toxic traits in relationships. (sighs) What's the difference? So I'm going to go over these pretty quickly. I think these are pretty standard. Red flags in relationships. I'm talking about like you're beginning to start to date someone. And you see these red flags and maybe you should turn in the other direction and break things off with them and start dating again. What I went over before was toxic traits that you see in a relationship and you're continuing to see in your relationship with friends, families, whatever. But these are red flags that you see in early parts of the relationship that maybe you should turn and run in the other direction. No communication. They don't want to talk about their feelings. They don't want to talk about anything. They are strictly just like, hey, how you doing? What's up? Where do you want to go to dinner tonight? They don't want to... Have you open up about your feelings, about what's going on in your life? They don't want to talk about the relationship moving forward. It's strictly a companionship sort of relationship. I think the same thing applies to like abusive behaviors and friends, where if you're the one always making plans, clearly they're not as committed as you are. Yeah. Now, obviously, different people have different jobs. Yes. Now, someone might be working 80 hours in an ER right now. Uh, it's totally possible that they don't have the mental energy to expend. And if you're okay with that, that's fine. But yeah, if they're deliberately not doing anything to help the relationship move forward, to spend time with the significant other, 
maybe that's not a negotiable thing for you. Carrying bad behaviors from the past into the future, drugs, alcohol, illegal activities. What, what are the bad behaviors? <laughs> so I want to talk about this. If you drink alcohol, if you do drugs, that's completely fine. But if you're getting belligerently drunk every single weekend or your partner is, or your future partner is, maybe rethink like, hey, what are their priorities in life? Why is alcohol a priority in their life? Yeah, that's not to say you can't enjoy alcohol and have fun and go to parties and clubs and hang out with your partner. But is it a crutch? Is it something a relationship wouldn't survive without? Can you not have fun without alcohol and substances? Is the alcohol and substances draining your finances? Is it causing strain with other people in your social circle of life? Yeah, it's not inherently that these substances are bad. It's just they typically accompany a wide range of bad behaviors. So be mindful of that. Unresolved issues from past relationships, whether they be unresolved feelings or unresolved trauma. I think we've talked about this in past episodes. Guys, 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 I'm just going give to a, give a quick tip here. Yep. If you're having a conversation with your partner and they are feeling unattractive, don't bring up how attractive a past ex was. Don't talk about how amazing the rack of your last partner was. Don't talk about how amazing they were in bed or how like sweet and sensitive they are. Keep that to yourself. Don't constantly be comparing your past partner to your current partner. That's or, kind of nagging. Or your current partner to other women like supermodels or other people that you find attractive. No, I mean, you're like Megan Fox plus 300 pounds. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. But what? I said you were like Megan Fox. Oh, also one thing I keep seeing online, a lot of women in women-centered subreddits talk a lot about how guys keep comparing them to anime figures. That's Don't- a little <laughs> weird. Don't do that. Even if they're like a huge anime fan themselves, like comparing women to imaginary cartoons with unrealistic body proportions and often highly fetishized traits, not the compliment you think it is. Women, I think, want to be desired for being an individual, not because they have, you know, certain (laughs) characteristics such as being Japanese or having big eyes or, you know, hair that's all spiked up. Don't make them feel like, again, you're fetishizing a specific trait of theirs. Make it clear that you value them because they're an individual who has traits you enjoy. Yeah, don't compare people to cartoons. That's just weird. I think that the best thing, totally changing the subject, but I think the best thing you can do with unresolved trauma is going and seeking therapy. If you're really interested in another person right after your bad relationship ends, maybe say, hey, give me a couple weeks. Let me go to a therapist. Let me seek out some help and make sure that you're completely healthy before bringing in your past trauma into a a current relationship. I think that that's extremely toxic and it causes a lot more trauma on the other person that you can ever imagine. Yes. Okay. Acting immature, unpredictable. It's kind of self-explanatory. We talked about this, I think, in last week's episode. I'm seeing a lot of guys and some women, mostly guys, making horrible financial investments into meme stocks online. Yes. Yeah. If your partner gambles away all of their money and can't make rent, that's a red flag. Yeah. That's the reddest of flags. That's like magenta and crimson and blood all mixed together. Damn. Yeah. Don't do that. They seem to want to isolate you. We touched on this earlier. Overreactive or snooping. I think that this is really, really bad. If they want to go through your phone... And they don't have that trust in you that you're not messaging other people or you don't have weird pornographic tendencies. You know what I mean? Like if they don't trust you and they want to go through your phone consistently or if they're snooping and you're in the shower and you notice that things are off on your phone when you get back, I would find that a little toxic. 
Yeah, I, I know some people do that because they have trust issues with a partner who's cheated before in the past. And this Then is, don't be with that partner. Yeah, and, and I think the problem with cheating is you can't uncheat. It doesn't go away, right? No matter how much you apologize and beg for forgiveness, it's not going to fade. And the partner is always, I think, going to have issues trusting you moving forward. And that isn't a healthy relationship if the partner is constantly second guessing whether you're still in love with them or if you're you know, lusting after other women. Don't cheat. If you desperately need to be in a polyamorous, polygamous arrangement, maybe the partner who disagrees with that is not the person you want to spend all your time with. Yeah, there's definitely people out there who are interested in that kind of arrangement or okay with that sort of thing. And there are people who that will permanently mess up, who a lot of their self-worth is based off of being able to trust implicitly other people. And when that trust is broken, they're going to have serious difficulty moving forward ever regaining full trust in another human being. So now that we've kind of covered that, I kind of want to touch on very briefly the fact that a lot of people that I've noticed kind of get their feelings confused sometimes when they're seeking out a relationship. Society kind of tends towards the opinion that men and women can't be friends, like platonic friends, and that there always needs to be like some sort of sexual tension or attraction or things of that nature. And I think that a lot of people for that reason get their feelings confused. You can have a friend of the same sex, of the opposite sex, of any sex that is just a friend and they can comfort you in the same ways that significant others do. But I feel as if some people kind of get confused to the point where they're like, okay, I'm going to sleep with this person and then they like really mess up a perfectly good friendship. If you're unsure of your feelings towards an individual You can make that mistake, but I'd be very careful about getting exclusive with a person that you don't know if you're physically attracted to. You could be completely okay with just being their friend and you don't need to like mess that up. And I think that a lot of people do mess that up and it becomes awkward and it takes a very strong relationship to come back from something like that. I think you can still be friends with people you've had sex with. Yeah, but what I'm saying is like if one person's feeling it afterwards and one person's not. Yeah, I don't know. Like, the, I guess the immediate comparison I'm drawing is, I guess, suicide. And what I mean by that is a lot of people who want to commit suicide don't think of the repercussions it has on all the people in their lives, where even if they think they're alone and no one cares about them, there's still a large extended network that often relies upon them and cares about them, whether that be family, friends, your professional environment. Your landlord for rent. Yeah. And in the same way, when you have sex with someone in the middle of your friend circle and it ends poorly, that affects everybody. It's no longer an issue between you two. Suddenly it's an us versus them thing. And like we know people in our extended family who've had this difficulty where bad, bad breakups permanently splinter a friend group. Or a family. I know my friend circle has shrunk considerably since – I started college because people were dating and then they broke up and there were disagreements and different stories that pulled people in one direction or another. Yeah, I don't want to be someone policing people's sexual behavior, but I do think it's worth considering that if you're in a relationship with someone in the middle of a friend group, that can destroy a friend group. Maybe think about, yeah, maybe think about that, but also talk to the person that you're attracted (laughs) to, you want to seek out a relationship with and say, hey, if this were to happen, let's just say we're possible outcome were to happen, what are you going to do? What am I going to do? Come up with some sort of agreement. Maybe make them sign a fucking contract. Jesus. 
all about consent, Joel. Okay. Consent yeah, get, get a lawyer things. in the room. Make sure he's passed the bar exam. Make sure that he uh, has a notary public he license. He has a license to practice in the state that you're in. Yes, that's really important. Yeah. You can't get a California notary no. in Arizona. It just yeah. doesn't work. Okay, Joel, what's the last thing you want to talk about? So we've shat on a lot of <laughs> toxic personality traits, relationship traits, and red Is flags. Is shying, like, in your pants? I guess. I've okay. never really thought of it that way. We've <laughs> expressed condemnation for a lot of negative behaviors, and I think a lot of people will be on the lookout for those, but not be clear what a good relationship actually is. And I think it's first worth reiterating that there are many traits that can make a healthy relationship, and even people who have one or two of the traits we discussed above can still be good partners, even with a couple of flaws. But there are, I would say, some clear green flags that you can look at and analyze that are difficult to fake if someone has you know bad intentions and easy to pick up on. These are things that I think a lot of people look for when trying to assess whether or not a partner is someone they can be with long term. And if you feel that you need to improve who you are as a person before you get into relationships, seriously think about whether or not you have any of these attributes. So I spend a lot of time on women-centered subreddits. I really want to try to get my finger on the pulse of what women are thinking and feeling and reacting to in regards to current events. Try to think about how my biases as a man you know, affect my judgment and whether or not I'm keeping in mind all considerations. The reason actually I do this, which I feel is worth bringing up, is there's a lot of aspects of our society where women's opinions are just completely disregarded, where their perception of things is ignored. There are a lot of great examples. There's a lot of projects that I see when I'm doing like site plan review. You know, I used to, I was working on urban planning permit, but there's a lot of projects which are designed to have few lights on in the parking lot at night to save energy. And there's a bunch of men in the room who are like, oh, this is so good. It's saving so much energy. And then after it's gone through like six design reviews, a woman comes in and is like, uh, that's not safe. Yeah. I would not feel safe yeah. as a woman walking through a dark, not lit at all parking lot at night. And that's because the opinion of women and their perception of society is very different from men's. In the same way, for years, women and men have not been studied equally in drug tests. Often, the majority of drug testing is done on men because those are dumb college students signing up for drug testing. And so we don't have clear data on whether or not women's bodies will be affected in the same way as men. And then crash test dummies in cars. For years, crash test dummies were like a 200-pound male-sized entity. And it turns out that where men get hit if they're six feet tall in a car with an airbag is very different than where a 5'3", 5'4", woman would get hit. And the health impacts and survival rates are greatly skewed because of it. And so now car designers are finally introducing women dummies, women mannequins when they're doing their testing. So I think it's really important to kind of stay abreast of what other sexes' reaction to certain things are and get a good idea of you know whether or not you have a full picture of the situation. Now, with all that in mind, let's talk about some green flags that women identified when this question was raised. On the subreddit 2X chromosomes, one user Hot Burrito said, and this post had <laughs> 5,300 upvotes, so like clearly this represents, I think, the majority opinion. Green flags in relationships. People who can take no for an answer. We've yes. talked a lot about consent and the importance of saying no. Some people are going to take that as like a personal offense. They're going to think that you're calling them ugly. They're going to think that you're not attracted to them anymore. They're going to think that you're maybe cheating on them. 
those are all the wrong reaction. The right reaction is saying, oh, I respect that you're a human being and have the right to say no. Totally fine. I'm going to go play Xbox or whatever. People who can work a washing machine without getting prompted. This is <laughs> weird. And I think a lot of men aren't going to understand why this is important. But this ties together with something they say a little bit later, which is someone who's looking for an actual partner, not something between a mother and a waitress. Oh, I love that. Yeah. If you're looking for someone to clean up your messes, you're probably not relationship material. If you're looking for someone who's going to clean your clothes and make your lunches for work and buy all the toiletries in the house and go to shopping and cook you dinner at night, that's not a partner. That's a live-in servant, right? I just hire a maid at that point, if that's what you're looking for. Maid slash cook. Maid slash cook. Compensate them properly, though. At least 25 to 30 an hour, I think, is a good starting wage. Yeah, so make sure that if you are a man looking for a relationship, and this applies to same-sex couples as well, make sure that you're someone who is good at cleaning up messes and isn't expecting that the other person that they get with is going to be cleaning up all the messes. You are shouldering work together. You should not expect the other person to take all the responsibilities and take over your failings. It's a good credit score. I don't think this is essential for relationships, but I can understand why people think it's important. A good credit score is, it's kind of fucked up that like a single number, which is often coming from bad information, can dictate your life. But like it at least indicates that you have some degree of financial responsibility. I would say that there's another opinion on this. I know that in toxic family relationships and sometimes in good family relationships, when one person in the family doesn't or several people in the family don't have good credit scores and they don't have a credit card or anything like that, they depend on another person's credit card. There could also be some sort of identity theft in which the credit score was messed up there. So yes, it could be a red flag, but it could also be a let me explain type of situation. Sure. And don't take any of these as, again, you know, the only thing you need to look at. Ultimately, every relationship is a combination of factors that you should assess. You can't really treat anything besides maybe them murdering a person in front of you as bad. I'm sure there's other examples. That's the one that just comes to mind. (laughs) Someone who doesn't throw temper tantrums. Someone who isn't trying to overcompensate for something. I noticed that there are a lot of people I've encountered who are really into cars, and it's not like they enjoy cars and like finely tuning a piece of machinery. It's like, look how cool I am. You know I'm cool because I own a vehicle. Let me tell you about all the adventures I get up to in this vehicle. Let me tell you about all the attractive women who want to sleep with me because of this vehicle. Let me tell you about like how advanced and sophisticated I am because I purchased this vehicle rather than a Jeep or a Chevrolet or Toyota (laughs) or anything else. Yeah, people who try to constantly tell stories and anecdotes that make them look good and are trying to, you know, compensate for some aspect of their personality or some aspect of their being that they don't like. It's not a great sign. People who are not trying to compensate for something, I would say, is it's a pretty good green flag. <laughs> this one I found kind of funny. She considered a green flag people who have role models other than Joe Rogan or, quote, some similarly overrated great mind of Reddit. Guys need to find a role model that's not Joe Rogan. I say that. We are podcasters. He is also a podcaster. I get it. There is a degree of irony there. The difference I would say is Joe Rogan is very much a pseudo-scholar. He's someone who talks around important issues with people and very rarely like actually addresses them. Often, he also gives platforms to white nationalist figures, people who are very much of the belief that there are hierarchies in society that need to be preserved, 
and that certain ethnicities or beliefs need to be either exterminated or heavily restricted. And I find that deeply concerning because it's one thing to give a platform to a wide variety of opinions. It's another to give a platform to people who are actively calling for genocide in their day-to-day life. So yes, men who revere Joe Rogan and who, God, listen to those two and a half hour long episodes and have nothing better to do but that. That bothers me too. If you need more proof of this, I just typed in Joe Rogan sexist into my search bar. And the first couple things that come up are links to YouTube videos where he's just outright saying that feminism is toxic towards women and men. A great quote that I found when looking this up is he's basically the Rush Limbaugh for meatheads. Yeah. uh, One thing I was thinking about recently is you ever heard the quote that you're like a sum of the five people you spend the most time with? Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of people our age now listen to a lot of podcasts, follow YouTubers, you know, YouTubers, YouTubers have their, you know, Twitch streams that they log on to on a weekly basis. One of the five people they spend the most time with is very likely someone they've never met. Yeah. It's very likely a parasocial relationship where you've connected with someone who you will never encounter, who just shares lots of opinions and quirks and jokes and little memes in you know a circle that you're never going to interact with. And so I don't feel it's unfair to call out Joe Rogan for perpetuating toxic behaviors even if they're just, you know, him trying to, you know, joke and use, you know, gross out humor or, you know, try to get a reaction out of people in kind of a South Park manner. It's still concerning that someone will spend, you know, an hour in their day just listening to this on repeat where one of the people they're primarily getting opinions and knowledge and information from is someone who considers these things such as feminism to be laughable. Uh, And I think the same applies to a lot of other like pseudo-intellectuals like Ben Shapiro or fuck, who's Lobster Man? His name is escaping me. He's the psychologist. Jordan Peterson. There we go. There's a psychologist who a lot of young men look up to who also espouses a lot of anti-feminist white supremacy-oriented beliefs who thinks that society is a hierarchy and we should mimic the lobsters in order to build a better civilization. Keep in mind, we talked about earlier how abusers can always be abusive, and it kind of applies here too, where people who say stupid shit that you should disregard can't just say stupid shit that you can disregard. They have to sometimes throw in kernels of truth, right? They have to sometimes provide good advice to people. Otherwise, people would never listen to them. And the problem is someone like Jordan Peterson or someone like Joe Rogan might say something that's actually helpful, like, hey, your room should probably be clean. Your house should probably be in order. But then they'll say, don't worry about fixing the world until your house and your little world around you is good. And that's kind of a negative idea. The idea that you can never fix anything until you yourself are fixed. That's something that prevents progress. It prevents you from fighting from things. It gives you a sense that you're not responsible for anything in the world around you. It's a very toxic idea. So yes, people who are deeply committed to certain podcasters, certain Twitch streamers, people who follow PewDiePie and Dream and all the other definitely not canceled YouTubers, I would also be suspicious of them. And I consider it a green flag if you admire someone who does not fall within that kind of pop culture bubble. People who work hard. A lot of women think is something that's good, but also people who understand there's more to life than working. I can understand this. I think this is something where there's a lot of nuance, but yeah, I think it's important to find a partner who 
is willing to step up when you need certain things done, who's willing to put in the work, but also isn't someone who lives only to work, who thinks it's you know good that they work 80 hours to 100 hours a week at their finance job, who think that you know they're just hustling, that you know, you know they just got that attitude, <laughs> got that entrepreneurial small business spirit. Yeah, you really shouldn't want to live to work. If money is the only thing that's important to you, look for ways to make more money in shorter periods of time. Don't think that you're being better than other people because you're putting in more hours at your minimum wage job. That's really not healthy. It's not good. People who laugh at themselves. Women consider this a green flag, it seems. I think that's also important. People who are very proud, people who are protective of their identity, people who are protective of their status. Potentially some unhealthy attitudes lurking beneath the surface there. You should be willing to accept that you are a human being who has flaws and that you are not perfect at all times. Understand that there are aspects of your personality people might find visible and move on. I think that something that ties into that is taking responsibility for their actions. Yes, definitely. Similarly, people who don't punch down. I think we've discussed this a couple of times, but if you go on a date with someone, do they treat service workers with respect? If you go on a date with someone these days, please remain masked and check their vaccine status. But yes, if you go on a date these days and that person is complaining about how slow the service is at the restaurant and how lazy workers are and how everyone on unemployment is a lazy piece of shit. Yeah, they don't really respect the fact there are people lower on the totem pole who don't live in the same circumstances they do. They don't respect that a lot of minimum wage jobs are highly skilled jobs that it's difficult to find people who want to work in them. If they look down on cleaners and janitors and solid waste workers and those who do not have a college degree, that's concerning because they Joel, probably think that there is a whole class of people in society who are not worthy of respect. Their actual name is garbologists. It's not solid waste workers. Well, there's a whole ch- chain of people involved in the field of solid waste. From solid waste workers and garbologists. To those who transport the trash, to those who process it at a waste management facility, to those who uh, process it in a material recovery facility, to those who work in the back end studying the trends and statistical analysis, doing the billing and other things. Those are solid waste workers. And garbologists are the people who specifically do pick up the trash and transport it places. So there. A couple of other things, men who can go to the doctor without prompting. I don't think this applies given how many people have shitty health insurance, but people who do have decent health insurance who refuse to get certain things tested or checked out, that's kind of concerning. It means that they have to be kind of cajoled into doing basic things for their own personal health, which means they probably have to be cajoled in doing things for others' health. Um, cajoled? Yes. The word was, was derived from Joel not doing things for his personal health. Got it. Yeah. People who understand the definition of emotional labor and actively attempt to create an equilibrium with it. So we've talked about pulling your weight in relationships. Obviously, there's a lot to do outside of cleaning the floors and making your kids lunch. There's things such as remembering to send Christmas cards to people in your family if that's important to you. It's remembering to buy gifts for people on holidays. It's remembering to make food for a potluck. It's remembering that your coworker has just had surgery and that you should go check in on them at the hospital. Bring them soup. Bring them soup. Yeah, it's keeping track of all the little like niggling things in the relationship, the connections you have with other people and maintaining those relationships. And that's something often a lot of men in particular are very bad at. So men who are actively looking for where emotional labor is not evenly distributed and trying to correct that, a lot of women consider a green flag. And then one last thing that she brought up that I think is really important is someone who supports your hobbies, even if they are, quote, girly. I think... Men are dismissive of things outside of sports and outside of gaming and outside of, you know, monster trucks and guns. 
I think a lot of men think that male-centered hobbies are the only real hobbies and that doing things like makeup or knitting or playing with your cats is not the same thing. I think that's really stupid. There are a lot of things that can bring people joy in life. There are a lot of things which give people happiness and satisfaction. I don't think that you're smarter or better than other people just because you own a lot of guns and drive trucks really fast. Yeehaw! Um, I think you are better than other people if you yeehaw once in a while. That's a mental health tip. <laughs> once, every, once every day, you have to go outside and yeehaw. So yeah, like I, I think a lot of men will look at women's hobbies and you know find them stupid. It's the same thing where you know guys will watch Fast and the Furious films and think that's good cinema while dismissing you know the Twilight films. That's not to say either of those are particularly good, but it's to say that neither are particularly great, and we shouldn't call out one or the other for you know being stupid. If you're willing to accept that both exist, both you know have negative portrayals of masculinity and femininity and violence and sexism and transphobia and all that jazz. You should be willing to, you know, critique both of those things equally if you're willing to critique either. Does that seem fair? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's really what I wanted to discuss. I don't know if there's anything you wanted to bring up. I think that there will be an extension eventually. We'll talk about bad relationships in media. I think Mm -hmm. that we didn't really talk about that, but of course that can be a whole different episode where we just talk about different media-based relationships that are toxic or have toxic traits and are idolized for being in the media and everyone's like, oh, there's such a Jim and Pam. You know what I mean? Sure. And I think it's worth discussing. I used to think all these BuzzFeed articles and listicles and, you know, this kind of fluffy journalism that discusses, you know, whether or not certain relationships are good or bad was stupid and degrading journalism. And to an extent, I still do. I think a lot of journalism is clickbait these days. But given how much time people spend watching Netflix, given how much time people spend watching movies and TV and consuming cultural content, I think it's important to discuss whether or not the cultural content we're consuming is perpetuating good or bad stereotypes, whether or not it's giving realistic expectations of relationships, and whether or not it's allowing certain behaviors to continue without being questioned or called out. So yes, we will definitely have an episode where we go through a lot of, I think, the most popular relationships, the Jokers and Harley Quinns of the world, the the Jims and Pams, the Kermits and Mr. Frogs, uh, Kermit and Miss Piggies, (laughs) and making sure we give them both, you know, their due, but also their day in court. Okay. Yeah, I think that's, everybody have a great week. Remember that if you're having any relationship issues that you'd like to talk about or you'd like us to talk about on our IGTV, let us know. We love to give advice. We are not trained professionals. We have to give that warning. If you are coming to us for advice, think about it before you actually go through on set actions. If you are starting college this week or continuing in college and your college has decided to do in-person classes, odds are very good. There is a student health center somewhere on campus. Go online, check it out. Often these places will provide either free or heavily reduced cost SDI testing, free condoms, and potentially therapy. I can't speak for all colleges. I know that a lot of the bigger colleges in the United States provide that. And if that is not a resource that you can use, you can also go to your local Planned Parenthood. If you have one in your area, their community health center, and they're really great and polite and are very understanding about all of your issues and are willing to talk about everything. I think that pretty much clears up all of our things that we need to say. I hope everyone has a great week. We love you. Despite all your flaws, I hope you can find it in your heart to do the same for us. Are you talking to the audio the audio right now? I am talking to our listener. Oh, okay. <laughs> Have a great week, guys. <laughs> Stay safe. Stay sexy.
We have many thanks for the use of our theme music, which is the song Drop by Ketza. You can find more of their music online at ketza.uk. You can also find Date These Guys online on Twitter and Instagram at Date These Guys, or visit our website at datetheseguys.org. If you have questions you'd like us to discuss on the podcast or marriage proposals for either of us, shoot us an email at datetheseguys at gmail.com. If you're looking to make an impact, this show recommends giving either time or money to Planned Parenthood, a nonprofit organization that provides reproductive health care in the United States and globally. Planned Parenthood clinics and affiliates provide birth control and long-acting reversible contraception, clinical breast examinations, cervical cancer screenings, pregnancy testing, prenatal care, testing and treatment for sexually transmitted infections, and abortions. Planned Parenthood also does great work for those who can't afford traditional medical services. Approximately four out of five of their clients have incomes at or below 150% of the federal poverty level. Both Joel and Naomi are monthly donors to Planned Parenthood. You could be too. The intro and outro music of Why Will No One Date These Guys is from the song Drop by the artist Ketza. It is licensed through Creative Commons, and we are deeply appreciative that they've allowed us to use it.